Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's wellness for the real world with Dr. Veronica. Eight twenty. that way I can pick it up. joined us again for Wellness for the Real World, and we're going to talk really, really, really real today. We're going to talk about why women cheat, not why men cheat. Everybody kind of expects men to run off and cheat. I think it's just what we think men do. But women are supposed to be, according to our culture and society, these monogamous creatures. Now, let's just talk about this. In the animal kingdom, none of the animals are really monogamous, including the mother animals. But let me just talk about marriage. Marriage is held up on this pedestal of this wonderful thing. You meet someone you love. That's your soulmate. It's your soulmate forevermore. You're never supposed to think about anybody, look at anybody, want to sleep with anybody. You're supposed to be excited. The fireworks are supposed to go off for 50 or 75 years. And that's the way it's supposed to be, especially with women, okay? Well, not true. Now, cheating in women tends to take a different nature than it does in men. And I'm going to tell you my own story. I'm going to put it out there of infidelity, okay? I was in a very long marriage, and ultimately by the time the divorce came through, I'd been married 22 years, and most of it, I would say was happy. Um, my husband and I got along well at that point in time. Most people thought we were the model couple. After even being married several years, we'd walk around holding hands, and he would call me beautiful and honey and sweetheart and blah, 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 blah. But it all broke down somewhere because now you guys know that I'm divorced. You've heard all my stories. And guess what? You guys, if you, if you haven't got this, I'm engaged that I'm going to get married again. Um, but on my way out, after I fell on the floor, I thought I was dying, all that other type of stuff, I had decided that I really was bored with my marriage, was bored with the relationship, felt like if I needed to stay in that for the rest of my life that, yes, I almost felt at one point that I'd rather be dead than stay in a relationship. And I was clinically depressed, and I heard that it is common for a lot of people when they're clinically depressed to feel that way. They'd rather be dead then stay in a relationship. And when I say I'd rather be dead, I felt that divorce was a worse option than death. Okay, now we have some psychologists on the line who can comment on that, but I realized now that I was clinically depressed, and so I was having these fantasies about maybe it would be better to be dead. But when I was on my way out of the relationship, I thought long and hard. I was very anguished because everybody talks about Elizabeth Gilbert and eat, pray, love, and laying on the floor crying. And I was just like, well, what was so hard about her leaving? She just had a man. Well, I had three sons, and I thought, my sons are going to hate me if I leave, but my sons are going to hate me any more, even more if they realize that not only am I leaving, I'm hanging out with other men, okay? So on my way out of the relationship, I thought about it long and hard, decided the relationship is over. It's done. I don't want to be married anymore. So I'm going out and getting myself a boyfriend, and that's what I did. So before I got divorced, I told my husband, this is over. I don't want to be in this anymore. 
if you want to stay married, we can stay married, but I'm moving on my separate way. And I did just that. And so on my way out of my marriage, I had some boyfriends. I'm telling you the mild, the mild version of the story. And I have found, I believe, that a lot of women who end up, quote-unquote, cheating, do it more like me than that I just want to have a fling and that's it. Or they are trying to figure out how am I going to stay in this marriage? I need some more excitement, so let me go out and do something on the side so that it makes being in the relationship tolerable. Whereas I believe that men just kind of like to run around a bit and all that. But I also believe that we are not monogamous creatures. We're just not. And we hold that up on the pedestal. So to think that we're going to marry somebody and only be with that person forevermore, I think it's just kind of ignorant. And I also don't think we should throw away good relationships for some, let's call it, infidelity. There was an article in the New York Times Magazine called Married with Infidelity where the gentleman who wrote the article, who happened to be homosexual, because I think a lot of times people who are homosexual live a little bit of a different lifestyle as far as monogamy and not having monogamy, said just what I'm saying. Why should you throw away a perfectly good relationship just because somebody slips out every once in a while? And that's what I say. I actually was told by a psychologist, Okay, PhD, good practice. You know, sometimes affairs are good for marriage, and they help marriages. Now, this is not the typical thinking that we hear in mainstream media. But today, we're going to bring on some guests that we're going to talk about heavily about this issue. A lot of people fall way on different sides of this issue. Um, I also have a co-host on with me, Blog Talk Radio co-host, Roger Allen Curry, Mode One, back on, because I know he has a lot to say about this because I think he probably believes the same thing. Women aren't women aren't monogamous just the same as men aren't monogamous, so why are we putting up the and tolerating this? So let me say hi to Russell, my co-host. My co-host has been giving me lots of stress over the last week. Um, <laughs> and I'm not finished, so don't take me off. <laughs> um, you know, we all have our ups and downs in life, and Russell's been having a little bit of roller coaster ride that we've been sharing with him. And so, Russell, I'm happy to hear your voice and comment for us about this. We're talking about why women cheat, or sometimes I say, well, maybe women should cheat. So I want to call it why women should cheat. <laughs> okay. Comment about what you think about the subject. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I don't think there's, as soon as you start saying, well, it's okay for women or not for men or vice versa, you're already speaking from this archaic um, podium, you know, that I kind of think we'd all be better off if we stopped having those sorts of things. Um, the longest relationship I was in uh, was a nine-year monogamous relationship with a man. Uh, yes, Veronica, I'm homosexual, um, but I don't know, and in this case, I don't know, maybe I behaved a bit like a woman was. Um, our relationship was great, like yours, most of the time. Um, the last few years were just hell, and I thought I was, I wasn't thinking about killing myself, but boy, I was damn sad. There sure was no fun anymore, and I had an affair. Um, the affair kind of found me, 
accidentally. And had I not had that affair, I don't think I would have understood what I was experiencing. What I was ex experiencing was that, okay, I've settled into my safe adult life. I have a nice house. I have a man who loves me. I have a great dog. I have, uh, I take vacations. I drive to work every day. You know, what's the problem? Um, and I had accepted that, okay, to have this kind of security and indeed love in your life, you know, there are things you have to give up, you know, childish pastimes or pursuits perhaps. So then I met quite accidentally this other guy and started seeing him occasionally. And um, I was blown away by what I felt because I wasn't looking to feel it. I felt like, oh, my God, I had slammed shut the dungeon, dungeon door in my heart on my chances of ever feeling happy or hopeful or joyous or sprightly again. And just by meeting this guy, and it never turned out to be a serious relationship anyway, but just by meeting him who found me, fascinating and funny and exciting oh my god it, it completely it changed my life and it, it made me realize boy this is never coming back to my current relationship so there you have a very similar um story to yours i think yeah i'm a man but i also didn't didn't uh, break the relationship because i you know had to take care of my gonads you know hmm <laughs> Interesting. So I want to get everybody else in and talk about this issue. I think uh, you feel horrible. You feel shame. You feel guilt when you do these type of things. I remember going to the psychologist and saying, I don't know anybody else who's done something like this. Like, who do I even talk to about this? Um, and it was something that I thought I'll never talk about in public. But as you guys know, I talk about everything in public because I know there's other people out there who've been through it, and it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody else say this. Now, um, in all fairness, I want to say that I don't hate my ex-husband. We went on a long journey together. I believe our time passed. And so he wasn't beating me. I don't believe he was. Now, he married 35 days after our divorce. And so people say he was cheating on you. I don't know that. I don't even necessarily believe so. Maybe so. I don't think it matters one way or the other at this point. And so I don't have hard feelings about it. He feels like I abandoned the relationship, though, and feels still a couple of days ago and say yesterday sent me a note saying he felt abandoned. Um, and so maybe that's the case. But I don't have bad feelings toward him, and I was I definitely did not want to hurt him by doing this type of thing. However, I felt like I was dying inside, and I had to do something. I was dying. And the first time the psychologist described to me and described to him saying, she feels like she's dying inside, and when you feel like you're dying, you will do anything to try to stay alive. And when I was out and seeking, I felt like I was trying to get my lifeblood back. So let's go on to our first guest. And I'll let Yes. His name, we're very glad to have him returning to us, is Charles J. Orlando, calling from the West Coast. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's a relationship expert, and he's an active member of American Mensa, so don't nobody try to pull anything on him. Um, his current book is The Problem with, with Women is Men. 
And uh, something we're going to be talking about today is an article he's written that's been um, published in yourtango.com and could become a movie called Why Women Cheat. Charles J. Orlando, back with us on Wellness for the Real World. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for having me back. Hi, Charles. And my husband is a Charles. My former husband is a Charles, and my son's a Charles. So I'm talking about the Charles who was in my life that I stepped out on. So your opinion on why women cheat. Go ahead. Well, men and women cheat for for very different reasons. Uh, As you alluded to, I I ended up going undercover for a few weeks as a cheating husband on Uh, AshleyMadison.com. To write my book, I I spoke to a number of of women, uh, 1,600 women over four years, to to reach some conclusions. Um, But, you know, at the end of it, it ends up very... It is a very dicey in that people know that they're being talked to, they know they're being interviewed. So I elected to go undercover uh, and ended up in in 30 plus chat sessions that ended up getting pretty steamy with my wife's permission, I might add. Uh, And then parlayed that into three in person dates where I was uh, trying to coerce women into bed. At the same time, I was looking to understand why they were there in the first place. Why were they not leaving their marriage, you know, kind of closing the proverbial chapter of today before starting a new chapter tomorrow. And it was really interesting. Uh, the entire experience is interesting. You've already said that it's been an option for a feature film. Um, so that's very exciting. Made the homepage of MSN, blah, blah, blah. In any event, uh, it was it was very interesting for a variety of reasons, both personally and professionally, uh, to really understand why these women were doing what they were doing. So that as a preface, uh, the, 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 we, why don't we talk about men first? Because there's a there's a very big difference as, as we you started out the the program. You know, men the, the most the, the top reason why men cheat is really for is largely for physical or sexual gratification with no emotional tie. These are guys who are who are cheating because they either have opportunity or they and they they're an opportunity to have sex without getting caught necessarily. Uh, they want to have sexual variety or to satisfy a sexual curiosity, and all those things are really about physical gratification and or their ego. Okay. In contrast to that, women largely cheat. This is what I had found going undercover as well. It isn't just for people say women cheat for emotional reasons. Yes, that's you can say that it's emotional, but what they're really missing is that lack of emotional. They're lacking emotional intimacy. They don't feel desirable, and it really stems from one main notion: in that when you're in a long-term relationship and kind of the mustard comes off the hot dog, so to speak, as seven to ten years in, men so often forget that women were women first and their wives and mothers second. And the second that these guys forget that they're women, that they're females, that they're sexually empowered, that they're desirable, that they're passionate, and they let that stuff wane, you end up with a woman who doesn't feel desirable, who doesn't, who wants to re-experience those feelings of romance, to get rid of the complacency that's that's come into her relationship, uh, and that's what I had found in, in talking to all these women uh, from Ashley Madison as well. They, it was it was obvious to me that some of these women just wanted to go out for the for the thrill, right? So they were doing their thing, but the women that I interacted with the most, these were women who didn't want to leave their marriage, otherwise they would, but they just didn't feel like they mattered anymore. That their their husbands had gone and done all these great things early in the relationship, but now 
you weren't worth it anymore. Hello? Did I lose you? Ah, there he is. Okay, we weren't worth it anymore. That's what I heard the end of. Yeah. And that's and that's really where it comes out. Uh, they are unhappy in their marriage, but they don't want to leave. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons why people don't leave. Uh, but the, as far as why women cheat, that's the nut of it. They want to experience, they want to feel passionate. They want to feel like women again. They want to feel feminine. They want to feel desired. And yeah. their husbands aren't doing it. Huh. Interesting. So, men... Charles, let me ask you a quick question, if I may. Sorry to jump in. Um, is that really so different for men? I mean, I get that it's more of a sexual um, structure stuff thing for men, but when men step out on women, or, or wouldn't you say they also are not planning to toss off the relationship. They just feel like they need to do this little thing for themselves, to get themselves back in step. Well, so for, for full disclosure here, so pe- cheating is, a, is an extremely personal decision. We're talking about majority and or trends, but there's going to be a bunch of people who may call in to say, that's not why people cheat. Yes, you, you may be part of the other 20% or 10% or so that don't cheat for those reasons. So let's all acknowledge that piece. Um, but... You know, when it when it comes to to men specifically, it's it's largely it's largely physical, uh, where they they step out because they have opportunity. Um, the men that I've spoken with who have cheated, it, it really is about opportunity, and you, you see it all day in in the news. You know, you don't see. Uh, it's interesting to see how men in power, uh, whether that's uh, real power or whether that's perceived power, whether that's monetary power. Are, are the men who are having the most affairs, um, whereas the, you go down to the lower middle class, uh, even the upper middle class, and you, you don't necessarily have men who are cheating as openly anymore. Um, so with power comes uh, an, inane, uh, an innate need for men to kind of fill the harems of old, I think. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but to answer your question directly, I, I think that there are a lot of men who, who cheat because they don't feel like their wives are involved in the, with their marriage anymore. But uh, with the men that I've polled, 80% openly admitted to cheating, cheating largely for physical or, uh, gratification or just sex without an emotional tie. Yeah, well, I know a lot of wives stop having sex with their husbands. So, But let me just ask when you said that hey, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a, that's a really important point, right? So we, <laughs> yeah. we talk about that as the symptom, okay, where women stop having sex with their husbands. And I would ask you, why? What's underlying that? And there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's not only women. Women don't feel desired. Their their men are providing just enough foreplay to get lubrication, right? They're not investing romantically, emotionally in their relationships anymore. So when you end up with a situation like that, of course they're going to drop out uh, of, of their sex life. It's not the same. There's no more. There's no candles. There's no passion. There's no romance. There's no violent acts of, of, of crazy sex behind the, you know, in the backseat or on the couch when the kids are asleep. It's this very orchestrated, like, I have a commute, I have work tomorrow, I'm sorry, I can't do this. You know, it ends up, it ends up being scheduled instead of, instead of spontaneous, instead of filled with passion, it's filled with obligation. 
Yeah, but however, I see a lot of women specifically who use sex as a weapon, a bargaining tool. And so you do what I want you to do, I give you sex. You don't do what I want to do, I'm not going to give you sex. And therefore, don't fulfill the needs of their husband. I think that when you get married, you have to feed your mate. And so just think about your kids. When you're mad at your kids, by and large, you still give them food and water. If you're mad at your husband and sex is number one on the list for what men say, if you're pulling away the food and water, then there's going to be this indifference that occurs. And I think a lot of women use sex during, especially in monogamous long-term relationships, as a weapon. What do you say about that, Charles? I think that there are some women who definitely do that. Um, but again, it comes back to the underlying issues. So I've spoken with a number of women who use sex as a weapon, and all of them have said very clearly that it's the only way that they feel that they can get their man to become involved, to put in any kind of effort for things that matter to them. So it's this very strange, screwed-up dynamic. Instead of saying very openly, these women looking at him very openly and saying, look, you need to put into this or I'm going to walk, or you need to put into this or you're going to watch me drop out of this whole relationship and it's going to come down like a house of cards. They're not saying those things. Instead, they're using something as a weapon, which is the wrong way to do it, right? But it's still a symptom of the underlying communication and dynamic challenges that are in the relationship itself. So we can talk about the symptom of sex and cheating, or we can talk about the actual disease, which is a lack of communication, complete complacency in so many relationships, uh, and uh, a lack of effort on, the, on both parties. Okay. Got it, Charles. I want you to hang on. i got to bring on one of my favorite controversial guests. We have back with us again Holly Hill. Holly Hill wrote Sugar Babes, and Holly Hill's been a mistress. She also wrote Toy Boys. She's been all over the place. She's even been on Taboo. And she talks about a concept, which I think is really very interesting, called negotiated infidelity. So let's bring on our favorite Holly Hill. Holly, are you there? Hello, Dr. Veronica. It's great to be back. Thank you very much. Okay, Holly, I know you were just chomping at the bit to say something during that last little exchange with uh, Charles Orlando. So go ahead. What do you have to say? And by the way, audience, I want you guys to know that um, Holly is a psychologist also. So she has a, a great professional background, so talks about this not just from personal experience, which she has, but from some psychological study to put behind it. Go ahead, Holly. Well, um, I, I have to agree, really, with both of you in uh, regard to the fact that, uh, you know, women really cheat to love and, and men love to cheat. Um, and as Russell so eloquently put it, men are, uh, are very much uh, wanting to take care of their gonads, whereas uh, women are, are cheating more for, um, for you know, comfort and, and love and to feel attractive. So I, I thoroughly agree with what you're saying. Um, and it's supported by scientific research. Um, research suggests that women usually cheat with a genetically superior man. Um, there is a lot of research to suggest that infertile women cheat more. So not only is there these uh, reasons of uh, needing sympathy and comfort and, and feeling loved, but there are also biological um, incentives for a woman to cheat. 
Um, Dr. Louis, Luan Brezidine, I don't know how to pronounce it, who wrote The Female Brain, um, she believes that women tend, cheating women tend to fake orgasms with their husbands and they have real orgasms with their lovers. And it is one of the reasons why that there are a lot of children born out of wedlock um, in, in marriages. Uh, so it is. A, it's a very. It's not only a, a, a sociological thing. It's it's a it's a biological um, predisposition in women as well to cheat. Um, and I guess that's where negotiated infidelity comes in. In that we have you know two partners in a marriage. Both of them, for various reasons, are inclined to cheat. And as Dr. Veronica says, you know we are not uh, sexually exclusive. Uh, we're not designed to be sexually exclusive and that if we want to save our marriages and to, to live the rest of our lives with people whom we regard as our soulmate, well, we need to turn to each other, um, recognise these traits within ourselves, both socio social and biological, and uh, meet, make our marriage around those, those traits. So negotiate uh, perhaps a, a sex worker for a, a husband that hasn't had sex for a while or <laughs> perhaps negotiate massages or uh, things that make her feel loved and beautiful for, for the female. Um, and if we love our, our, our partner, that's what we do to them. We, I, I agree. And one of the things that I say about this whole thing is, you know, after having left my marriage, I felt like, and this drives people crazy, but I heard more women say this than men, that one person doesn't have all the qualities that I want, and why shouldn't I be able to get that in different people? I realize that I don't expect anybody to have everything, but what you say to me in culture and society is, well, you're just supposed to give up those things and act like you don't need them and you don't want them. And I'm saying, why do I have to give up those things? I feel like I'm depriving myself. And so what happens is you have different people who meet different needs, and it may be that some of those people who are meeting these different needs end up being intimate with you, although you don't want them to be your primary partner. What do you say about that, Holly? You know, I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, we live in an age of specialization, and like especially that. when you look at things like fetishes and, and kink and uh, those types of things where, you know, it is, it's naive to expect one person to have all of the qualities um, that another person desires. And why should we miss out? You know, if it's all up, up front and above board, you ought to be able to say to your partner, well, look, I like ladies that are dressed in leather with their nose pierced or something and, and the, you know the wife ought to be able to say to her husband well I don't I would feel uncomfortable in such an outfit so how about we work we get a session for you um, with a sex worker and um, I'll get a new handbag um, that's what that's what relationships should be about <laughs> okay so so having said that I don't know that I can say to my future husband to be, let me get you a whatever with a sex worker, but I get your point. <laughs> but, you know, I want to I wanna bring on, I want Holly to stay on the line, too. I want to bring on one of my um, favorite co-hosts who talks about sex all day and all night and on Facebook and everywhere else, and all the women are following him, trying to sleep with him, Roger Allen Curry. I want to get him on, Mr. Mode One, who talks a lot about this subject. 
And so I hope Roger is ready. Roger, how are you, Roger? Well, actually, it's funny. You tend to twist my name around just a little. It's actually Alan Roger Curry. Oh. No, I'm going to call but, you Roger because I'm special. But quite a few women do call me Roger. But yeah, it's been interesting to listen up to this point, some things have been said that I think are valid and I agree with, and honestly, some other things I've been kind of wincing over here, because here's the thing with me. I don't think, I, I never defend any cheater. I don't care what the situation is. If you're cheating, you deserve criticism. That's my first and foremost statement. Interesting. Um, what, what cracks me up is is even the question itself. A lot of people ask, why do men cheat? Why do women cheat? And somebody told me years ago that you get better answers by asking better questions. And for me, the better question is, why do men and women who deep down who possess promiscuous tendencies tend to initially, temporarily, or indefinitely pretend or give off the, the disingenuous facade that they have monogamous tendencies. Most people who cheat, and particularly those who habitually cheat, those are people who never intended to be monogamous in the first place. You know, it's like asking, why does somebody who says they want a slim, athletic body eat hot fudge sundaes and cookies and cake? Those people don't want to eat right to begin with. It takes exceptional people to have the discipline to exercise regularly, eat regularly so that they can have somebody. But the vast majority of people in society, they want to eat whatever the hell they want to eat. The vast majority of men and women in dating relationships, they want to have sex with whoever they want to. The thing that stops most people is their whatever their individual degree of morals, values, principles, and self-discipline is. Some guys, they don't have any self-discipline. They don't have any morals and values to, like, act as a gatekeeper. So they go after every skirt possible, despite the fact that they might have a girlfriend, they might be married. And it's the same with women. I know I have female friends right now. They don't cheat because of love and all these kind of, like, noble-type things. They cheat <laughs> because they see a guy with a nice-ass body who they think mm. will rock their world in bed and get in multiple orgasms, and that's why they go for it, because they don't have any gatekeeper to prevent that. Here's the problem, another problem I have with cheating. That is inherent in the term cheating. One of the reasons why most people cheat is because they want to have options, they want to have variety, but they don't necessarily want their partner to be afforded the same type of options. Absolutely true. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want him to do what he wants to do. Are you kidding me? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, because think about it. If you were totally 100% fine with your partner sleeping around like, say, you are sleeping around right now, you would just uh, lobby for an open relationship, an open marriage, or in worst case scenario, you would just end it. But when you have men and women who want to cheat, again, particularly on a regular basis, but they're not letting their partner know, that's because they want their partner to remain monogamous to them, but yet they want to be the ones who have this variety. Now, I respect you to a degree, Dr. Anderson, you did say you, you, you were cheating or on the verge of cheating, but you said you had no, a I discussion. Did. I did. Yes, I had a discussion ahead of time. You had a discussion where I you basically to told your, your ex-husband <laughs> you were unhappy and you were getting ready to find some boyfriends. I still don't respect cheating, but I always say to my friends and acquaintances, 
have that at bare minimum. Have a discussion. Tell your partner, "Hey, I'm unhappy. This is I don't feel sexually satisfied. I don't feel happy. And if we can't find a resolution or something to prove, then I'm gonna have to move on or whatever." But what I most hate is when those men and women are acting like everything's okay within the relationship, but yet they're going out doing whatever they want to do. That's just totally uh, heinous to me. <laughs> well, let, let me throw in a comment if I can, Veronica. Um, Alan, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I didn't ask permission first or say that I was going to do it first before I did it. Um, I did want that very thing, really, and I still freely admit it. I want to be able to, and I know this is ridiculous, but I want to be able to go out and satisfy my needs, and yes, that's okay, then only I can do that, because I know what's in my heart. <laughs> and if my partner did it, um, and I think this is true for most people, you know, marriage is still not all that different from what it was hundreds of years ago, where it's this institution with a house and silver and possessions, <laughs> and people's whole lives are built into this house, this family, and to suddenly say, I'm going to look around because I'm not so happy anymore. I mean, that's 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 an overwhelmingly um, upsetting kind of statement to say. It means your whole life could be chucked out the window. Yeah, but I think there's a yeah. difference, though. I think there are when, – when I decided that I was going to move on, I really decided that I really don't want that relationship anymore. And I think there are people like me who say, you know what, I really don't want that anymore, and I'm moving on. But then there's a different type of person who they want other things other people, and they want the primary relationship, too, and they don't want the person who, even though they're seeing other people, they don't want their primary partner to do the same thing. It's threatening. I don't want to think. I think at this point in time, I feel like, you know what, I'm going to be faithful because I want you to be faithful to me, too. It's a bargain here. It's um, We're going to agree that we're going to do this at this point in time. That doesn't mean something can't change in the future, but at this point in time, I'm comfortable, I'm happy where I am, and we've agreed that let's try it out this way. The question becomes, am I going to feel like I felt before? And I think, you know, going in, I'm saying I'm going to get married, and I have this fear of, oh, my God, will I ever get to that point where I feel like I need to move on? Will I get to the point where... I'm, I'm bored or dissatisfied, I don't feel appreciated, and I want to jump off the building. Am I going to get to that point again? Um, and I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I not get to that point again? And perhaps um, I want to bring in a psychologist. So, Russell, introduce our resident psychologist who always has something good to say. <laughs> you have seen her on the Today Show on Good Morning America and every major TV network. Dr. Diana Kirshner, a love expert and media psychologist, is the best-selling author of Sealing the Deal, The Love Mentor's Guide to Lasting Love. Welcome, Dr. Diana Kirshner, to Wellness for the Real World. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Dr. V. Well, you know, uh, this has been a great conversation, and I am thrilled to hear you say that you've decided that you're going to be faithful in your relationship and there is a way to be faithful and make it spicy and make it hot and make it new 
over and over and over again. There have been studies that show that couples can be married over 20 years and still be madly, passionately in love with each other. And um, that's, that's the truth. And if one cheats and you think you're going to be like the one with your hand in the cookie jar and your partner is not, you got to know that what, you know, what goes around comes around. And um, it's very, very, very rare that a person can cheat and actually really get away with it for that long because uh, the knowledge of it, it, it kind of wafts in the air. It, it floats in the air in the couple, and it's there. And at a kind of like an unconscious level, they both know what's going on. They really, really, really do. And it explodes. It really does explode at one point or another. And um, and when it explodes, you know, it can be really, really, uh, like, hellish, really hellish. Okay, so talk about, though, this tendency of just people not to be monogamous, both men and women. It's just something that is not necessarily a natural thing. So what That's do absolutely do true. That's absolutely true, but... Here, that's absolutely true. And so, you know, we seek novelty. Uh, we, you know, the brain is a sex organ, and it, it seeks novelty. Uh, but, but you see, the thing is, is that you can create, you can really have a sophisticated understanding of that, and you can create novelty. Ninety-nine percent of the people have sexual fantasies, okay? Uh, you can take your sexual fantasies uh, into the bedroom. You can share them. You cannot share them. You can ac actually have them running in your mind. Uh, so uh, you are having an affair uh, in your mind with your partner. You can actually move into role play uh, and, um, and play out those fantasies to a certain degree if your partner wants to. Uh, creating that novelty, you know, in, in uh, sealing the deal, I talk about one of the main uh, laws, real laws of attraction, is to continue acting like you're having an affair with your partner. You know, if you don't have an affair with your partner, you'll have an affair with someone else, or he or she will have an affair with someone else. So, you know, you can decide. You can actually decide. You can decide that you're going to be having that affair with your partner. That means you have your cake and eat it too. You have security. You have stability. You don't have to give up your house. You don't have to give <laughs> up, you know, the parenting together. And at the same time, you can have these amazing, incredible, mind-blowing orgasms. Okay. So now, in a perfect world, that's how it would be. I think we all would say, you know, we all want to believe that these people – can go get together, stay married forever, nobody strays, and that's it. However, in a lot of couples, that's not the case. Now what? What do we do now? And in my well, experience, yeah, the question is what happens when the cheating occurs and what happens when it becomes evident in the relationship that it's either going to occur or it has occurred. Um, the reality is is that um, that most uh couples don't divorce because of an affair they really really don't if you, you know, there's been research uh that shows that 80% of the people who are divorcing they don't say we're divorcing because of an affair they say we're divorcing because we've lost that connection and we've lost that friendship we've lost it and in fact there are many many couples who can actually come back from an affair and take 
what they've learned out of that whole horrendous, hellish experience and actually make their relationship better. And I've seen it many, 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 many times. I worked as, you know, a couples therapist for many years. And I can't tell you the couples that we, you know, that I've, you know, united who actually came back even better than ever after after there was an affair. All right. And, now, but uh, answer this, though. It seems to me, and maybe this is just an impression, that women are very willing to forgive an affair, but men are not willing to forgive the affair. Is that true or false in your clinical experience? Well, men often have more pride about it, and uh, so they're, you know, they they uh, they feel, you know, kind of emasculated. Um, but there are certain ways that um, the man will also really long to uh, to heal the relationship. The, the 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 thing about when an affair comes out is that it's almost like a sword is dangling over the people's heads, and that sword hanging over their heads is loss. In other words, they're going to lose. The terror is they're going to lose the relationship. They're going to lose the family. They're going to lose the, the, the you know, the children or whatever. And um, it's it's terrifying. But at the same time, you know, they say that crisis equal opportunity. Um, so out of that fear, uh, if the man sees a way that he could reconcile with his wife who cheated, if he sees a way to regain his pride, if she makes reparation to him and she makes it up to him and they start having really deep discussions about where they need to go and uh, where they need to go sexually uh, together and sharing some of their thoughts and fantasies. And, an, and another interesting piece of research is that if she shares the details of the affair with him, they're more likely to actually uh, recover from the affair, too. Interesting. So, I wouldn't think that. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that weird? So she tells him, you know, we we uh, were screwing four times at this particular hotel, and here's what we did, and everything else. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. But I think at this point in time, I'm not going to try this at home to see if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. Let Let's talk a little bit more about. Okay. A lot of us have been through the end of a marriage. There have been affairs. And we want to try for round two or round three. What do you say to people like that? Because I say to people, I want my relationship to work. I'm not getting married yeah. to get divorced again. I want my relationship to work. And so, what do you recommend? Because now I know. Well, you want to. You want to. I have the ability to do it. Now I know I have yeah. the ability to do that, and that's terrifying to me because I'm just like, oh my god, that might be my coping mechanism now. What do I do? What do you say? Well, you you want to cheat-proof your new relationship. You want to cheat-proof it. And the best way to cheat-proof it is to absolutely make sure that your sexual needs are being met and your partner's sexual needs are being met. And um, and there's, you know, basically three kinds of sex. One is, uh, the first type is called a sexual trance, as you well know. The sexual trance is where you concentrate on your own pleasure and you are responsible for your own pleasure, for, uh, you know, if you uh, need some fantasies to use to get your to get to where you need your peak pleasure, uh, to, you know, to really get there and, and create your own fantastic orgasmic experience. And that's the sexual trance, really allowing yourself to go into the sexual trance and totally, totally get 
get off where you need to be. Um, the second type is uh, partner engagement, and that's where you're going to give it all to your partner. You're going to create the most incredible, intense uh, sexual experience that you can for your partner. Now, obviously, you need to discuss this with each other so that you know what it is that really turns your partner on. And, you know, in order to do partner engagement properly, you need to be willing to stretch, you know. If if they want something that, you know, it's not particularly turned on to you, you got to learn how to do it. You really stretch yourself. Uh, you know, this is this is like anything else. You know, you push through your limits. Well, that becomes difficult because I think there are a lot of people who have views about what is okay and what's not okay in the bedroom, and there's a mismatch. I, I mean, I was married to a man who there were things for him that were just not okay. They mm-hmm. just weren't okay. And to even talk about it was like such taboo that it was like, mm-hmm. okay, all right, ugh. Stop being approved. I mean, you know, that has to be that has to be negotiated and that's where, you know, you gotta you have to say, if this doesn't happen in this relationship, I may have to leave. It, just as you did in your in your former relationship. You you have to take a stand. You have to have the courage to take a stand and say, you know, uh we have to have sexual fulfillment. We have to have sexual fulfillment together. Actually, Sexual fulfillment is so important. It's it's so important, as you well know, all the studies show, for your own health, your mental health, your physical health, uh, and true. for your partners. It is it, true. It's so important for your health and for your bond, for your emotional bond, for you staying coupled together, for you both being happy. It's going to create uh, oxytocin. It's going to create, you know, the bonding hormone. It's going to create that wonderful high, the endorphins. And it's going to bond you together, and it really needs to happen. So you have to get over your uh, BS limits about what what is you know you can or can't do, and so does your partner. Um, sex has to be kind of like a magic theater where you enter it and you 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 really you know let yourself go into different roles. And the third kind of sexual interaction is, of course, role play. Um, where you can do, you know, women often like to be, uh, uh, they like to surrender, be taken by force. There's all different wonderful role plays that you can play. And it's kind of like a magic theater. You're just fooling around and having fun. The main thing is having fun and both of you really getting what you need. Okay. Now, I want to get our last guest and have her jump in and hear what she has to say about the whole subject. So, Russell. Oh, Veronica. Oh, Veronica, I'm talking a lot tonight. I'm sorry. Please don't hate me, but I just have to ask Diana a short question. Okay. Do you mind if I throw that at you, Diana? Go ahead. Okay. Um, In my experience in my life, I'm not talking about anything I've read or any statistics or anything like that. I'm talking about just older couples that I have viewed in my life. I'm talking in their 60s. 70s, possibly, who have stayed together, straight and gay, have had this one thing in common that I've observed, and that is that they went through whatever the early part of their relationship was, you know, whether that was, you know, maintaining a musical fantasy or what have you, Um, and then their later marriage is quite different, no less loving, but it's different because 
they went through an absolutely earth-shaking fundamental change in their relationship. Um, it just wasn't working anymore. But they stayed together, even though it may have been a very close call, simply because they, they decided they had more with each other than without. And so you're likely mm-hmm. to see, I, I think of next-door neighbors who I uh, who I used to have uh, in upstate New York, where um, both were Columbia professors and had been married since the year one. Um, <laughs> they were very, very close to each other and cared deeply about each other, but their lives were completely separate. They'd sit well, in mean, their living room you know, at night. Certainly... They didn't read the same things. They had different activities. But you often, get my drift? Often... Yeah, but often in those couples, uh, they drift into an asexuality. If you don't use it, you lose it, you know, and they can drift into an asexuality. On the other hand, there are my neighbors where I live, and I think the woman is, like, having multiple orgasms, and she's in her 60s, <laughs> according uh, to I'm, the, the sounds that are coming from. <laughs> 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 I'm going to she's just good at that, okay? <laughs> and I have people. You know, you know how that happens? That can happen for some women after menopause, multiple orgasms start. Well, I, you know, I just hear you think, talk about keeping it fresh and, you know, I used to be an actor, and I have acting training, and yeah, it can be done, but uh, you know how much work it is to keep a Broadway show fresh after 4,000 performances? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, that's, that is the real truth. That is truth. That is, you know, putting energy into it. Well, now we get, we got to get our last guest in here, Russell. Yes, we do. And here she is, and she's patient, and we like her a lot. She's calling us from Toronto, Canada. She is an author of best-selling books, including, interestingly, Mistresses, Mistresses, A History of the Other Woman, and A History of Marriage, and A History of Celibacy. Her name is Elizabeth Abbott. Welcome, Elizabeth, to Wellness for the Real World. Thank you very much. Okay, Elizabeth, you've been listening very patiently to this whole conversation. And you I'm going to shut up now, Don't worry. <laughs> you are like the historian of all these different things, so I'm going to let you, you've heard so much, I'm going to let you comment where you think it's the most important at this point in the show. Go ahead. Well, I think that um, what's really interesting is that we've, we've been uh, discussing infidelity in terms of, of really modern marriages in terms of, of needs and what we think marriage is about. Marriage is about personal fulfillment and so on. And um, and that's quite true, it is today. But what's interesting to me is that if you look back through history, uh, you see, first of all, there was always a great deal of infidelity. Don't forget, his, uh, marriage started out as polygamy. And although, you know, with we might not see that as being uh, unfaithful, it was certainly multiple partners, at least for the man. And um, there was always a, a big emphasis on premarital virginity for women. And one of the reasons was that that guaranteed that at least the first child would be the husband. Because there was always this, <laughs> there was always this, uh, this fear, that actually a knowledge that, you know, women would, were also very capable of being unfaithful. And a lot of the, the laws, uh, universal laws or, or throughout the world, reflect that. For example, the child of a, wo- of a wife is the husband's, whether or not you know, it actually is. 
if a woman has a child within wedlock, the child is her husband's. And that law was, you know, devised because so often that wasn't the case. So many husbands wondered, so they had to, uh, it's a, a way of sort of making less of a mess of a bad situation. And um, even even today, this is uh, judges will articulate that. They will say to a husband who demands now a DNA test. I mean, this DNA tests were you know quite nightmarish inventions for a lot of women, <laughs> who you know because you you can't explain um, you know you can't explain why Jack and Jack and Jill look completely different, and, and one looks like Dad, and one looks like you know that. The neighbor. that as a neighbor, the mailman, or the milkman, or something, uh, the judges will say even uh, today, you know, you you should have, you know, you have to expect infidelity, and you you have a very limited time frame. You can't go like five years later and ask for a DNA test, uh, or you can't, you know, you can't sort of denounce your child after that. There's a, you know, there's a limited time frame for doing that because infidelity is something that you have to end. Anticipate. You have to be aware that it could happen, and you, if you suspect, you better suspect, you know, right soon after the birth. So these are some of my thoughts about this. Ah, so from what you're saying is that women have been straying just as much as men have been straying over the years to the point where laws have been made so that women aren't penalized and the children of these relationships aren't penalized. And this is the way it's been across history. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that the children are penalized. I'm saying that they're not. They are. They're not. Uh, yes. They are given the status of of legitimacy. In other words, they're not penalized for being illegitimate. They're just assumed to be legitimate. I don't know that it, that that it's equal. That women have been equally unfaithful, but but certainly large proportions have. So I think probably men are. Uh, this is you know we can't really know these things. But let's say if men, 50% of men are unfaithful, 40% of women are, something like that, maybe a little less, but quite, you know, a very high proportion nonetheless. Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching on TV about John Edwards and his daughter, oldest daughter just got married and he snuck into the wedding, and they talked about how his mistress, Riel Hunter, and baby were not invited to the wedding. And I started thinking about what must it be like, not necessarily just to be Real Hunter, but to be the child of John Edwards and Real Hunter. And I actually have a very good friend who is the product of an affair. And she talked about what her life was like because she never really got to interact with her father. She kind of knew there was something weird going on. It wasn't something that was really talked about a whole lot. But she was the affair child. And so it's interesting, though, because if you're, if this was the other woman's child, and you wrote about the history of the other woman, and so that's different when you're the other woman versus when you're the wife. If you're the wife and you stray, there's something to protect you. When you're the other woman, it's just like, oh, my God, you're the other woman. You don't care about That's exactly right. Throughout history, the other woman has been completely... Uh, vulnerable. She hasn't had any right to claim the man's estate. Her child has been bastardized. She can be kicked out at any time. She's been completely insecure. Those laws are changed now so that children are not, there's no such concept of uh, really as illegitimacy. A child is a child is a child. If you have a child in or with, within or without wedlock, he is he or she is a legitimate child because the, the concept sure. of bastard has gone. But the wife, the woman, 
you know, st- and the woman can sue for child support, but she's obviously she still doesn't have the rights of a wife, obviously. But the, the other woman is is certainly in a you know in a much more vulnerable position, always has been. Wow. So uh, Elizabeth, I want to thank you for giving us that historical um, overview of what was happening in the past. And I gotta I gotta bring back on my favorite guest co-host. I'm gonna call him Roger forever, but Alan Roger Curry. But he's Roger to me. He is Roger to me. So Roger, <laughs> what do you have? To say? Might as well just drop Roger. <laughs> hey, hey, Roger's fine. No, again, I, I just uh, would reiterate a lot of thoughts I made. I don't, I don't think any one gender should be allowed to have justifiable or excusable reasons to cheat. Again, cheating is cheating. I'm all about, as everyone knows, upfront, straightforward honesty. If something is not right with you in a relationship, you need to talk about it and either resolve it or end it. What I do want to add, though, there was an episode of Dr. Phil back in 2005, I'll never forget, where this woman, Basically, well, first she talked to her husband in the swinging, and then it just went to just full-blown cheating. And she made the, the, the comment, and a lot of women I know have echoed this comment, she was not dissatisfied with her husband in any type of non-sexual manner. She loved him. She thought he was a great father. He was financially responsible. She was totally satisfied with him basically as a platonic husband, but as you and I, Dr. Veronica, talked about in a previous discussion about bad boys, sexually, bad boys did it for her. And that's why she wanted to swing and then ultimately wanted to cheat. So sometimes, again, it's not about this old, my husband makes me feel lonely and unloved. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm with conservative, prudish, average in bed, Brian, but I want to be with exciting, multiple <laughs> orgasm-provoking Tyrone on the side. Okay, so now maybe Brian, uh, maybe now, Brian was gay. Well, well, wait, 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 wait. Now on the, on the last note, I got to bring back on my favorite psychologist, Dr. Diana Kirshner, who gets the last word for her thirty-second wrap-up. Dr. Diana, what do you have to say? Well, we are all wired to cheat. We definitely are. And, uh, you know, the thing is to understand that, and uh, I would say try to build it into your relationship so that it happens there and you get your cake and eat it too. (laughs) Have your cake and eat it too, but on the inside of the relationship. So it seems like Alan Roger Curry moved one and Dr. Diana Kirshner are in agreement, and I am just so surprised about that. But so I think we're we're often in agreement. I think we are, Alan. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Dasha Kirshner's been on my show. She, we, we had a great discussion with her. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So look, we're, we're just having a love fest here, people. Anyway, I want to thank all my guests for talking about why women cheat. We started off really sort of academic about this. Oh, our emotional needs aren't being met, blah, 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 blah. And then we got to, you know, mode one and Dr. Diana Kirshner, who said, nope, it's about sex for women, too. And I agree with them. So join us next week again for Wellness for the Real World. But in the meantime, visit drveronica.com. You can see me on the cover of Sashay Magazine. And you can see my best-selling book, Win. You can see about me being an entrepreneur and how I win at life and being an entrepreneur. Visit Facebook, Twitter, find me. I love you all. Thank you again for being 
here. Again, Russell, I'm glad you're well, and don't make me have to come to your house and find you. I want to thank again my guest, Alan Roger Curry, Dr. Diana Kirshner, Charles J. Orlando, Holly Hill, and Elizabeth Abbott. Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica, and you know you're always going to have something interesting on the Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Talk to you again next week.